I love that prayer in Psalms. God, would you revive us? And what's the word? Again. Would you do it again and again and again? And this can be something that we don't just pray once. It can be something that we pray every single morning. God, would you revive me in this moment and in this morning? If you have your your booklets, you'll find some blank pages starting on page eight and nine. And uh, we provide these pages for you to be able to take notes this morning as God uh, begins to speak to your heart some truths. Um, I, I pray that you would be sensitive to what it is that God is wanting to say. We're going to look this morning uh, at, at what does a revived life look like? What does it mean to be revived? Um, and so as, as my friend Dan put it in the, in the video, he's like, listen, you, you can't be a dead person and be revived. You must first be alive to be revived. Um, and so I want to start with this idea this morning. The holiness of God will inspire us to a new way of living. If you have your copies of scripture, we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter six this morning. Uh, which is a, a very common passage when people come to do revivals and we think about revival. Uh, this is one that a lot of people will turn to. Now, real quick, how many of you have ever been to a revival before in your life? Okay, I have as well. And I remember coming to those revivals um, and watching a guy up on the platform turn beet red, holler and scream and pound on the podium in the pulpit. And basically, um, like the whole time I'm thinking, is, is he going to die of a heart attack? Like, do we need to have 911 on speed dial? Uh, do I need to be ready to step up in that regard, you know, and be ready to preach? This is going to be a revival unlike anything that you've sensed before. Because a lot of times when we equate revival, we think evangelism. This is for the lost. This is for my friends who don't know Jesus. I'm going to bring them. And this guy's going to get up there and he's going to preach hellfire and brimstone. And they're going to come to Jesus. Revival doesn't happen with people who have never been alive. Revival is for the church. And so this week, we're going to spend time as the church asking God, God, would you restore to me, as David said, the joy of your salvation? Would you, would you bring back, God, this, this life that I once had? Um, and so we're going to start with this idea of the holiness of God will inspire us to live a brand new way. Because here's the deal. What you believe will determine how you behave. What you believe about God will determine what you, how you will behave. If you believe in a big God, guess what? You'll take risks for God. You'll live on mission for God. If you believe in a little God, guess what? You won't do a whole lot. You'll sit and worry because guess what? God isn't big enough to care for my worries. So if the holiness of God is going to inspire us to a new way of living, the question becomes, what is life? What, what is, what is the definition of life? So I looked it up. There's this beautiful thing called the internet now. Um, and you can Google this stuff. I don't know if you knew that's a verb now. Um, my parents used to say, go look it up in the dictionary to which I then would have to ask my mom, how do you spell it? And she'd say, look it up. And I'm like, if I could spell it, I would. Now the beautiful thing is you can just type it onto your phone, type it onto your computer. It will auto correct the spelling for you. It's great. I typed in the word life. This is what it says. The definition is the ability to grow, change, etc. that separates plants and animals from things like water and rocks. The period of time when a person is alive. The experience of being alive. Well, then that leads me to go, well, what does it mean 
to be alive. What, what does it mean when we say as a church, we are alive? So here's, here's the definition of alive, having life. Well, thank you, Captain Obvious. But listen to this, not dead or inanimate. Still in existence, still a force or an operation, still active in competition with a chance of victory. Church, can I give you a hint? We don't have a chance of victory. We are victorious. I've read the end of the book. I don't know if you have. Satan loses. And it's not because of how I have lived my life or not lived my life. It's because of what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. So we we don't have a chance of victory. We are victorious. Are we living a defeated life? Would our lives be considered alive? Here's the other definition. Knowing or realizing the existence of something marked by alertness, energy, or briskness. Marked by how much life, animation, or activity. Would you say that you are alive? Or are you merely existing? I think a lot of times in my own life, I'm just breathing. I'm trying to survive, much less thrive. I'm holding on, ready to get to the end of things. And man, I'm just, I'm just hoping that I'll get through this time. Are you alive? Are, are you breathing? Would you consider your life to be a force? I don't mean Star Wars. I mean, are you a force to be reckoned with? Would you consider your life to be marked by movement, still active in competition, still alive in the faith? Are you marked by alertness or by energy? Are, are you marked by much life? Jesus says in John 10, 10, you guys know this, the thief's purpose is to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them life, abundant life, or life to the fullest. As the New Living Translation says, rich and satisfying. Problem, we aren't alive. We're, we're existing. Question for you. When was the last time you shared your faith? When was the last time you shared your faith with someone? The, the Great Commission, Jesus commissioned us to go and make disciples. That doesn't mean go to Africa. That means go to your neighbor. That means go to the, the person at the checkout counter. That means go to your waiter or your waitress. That means wherever you are going to share the gospel of Christ. Can I give you a hint? The guy standing up here isn't up here because he's perfect and has all of the answers. And I don't just mean me. I mean Pastor Chad, Jesse, anyone who comes up here is not perfect. I struggle sometimes to share my faith. I miss opportunities. I'll say, God, would you help me to, to, to tell someone today about you? And then the waitress comes over and her life is horrible and she's telling me all about it. And I'm like going, should I say something? Do I not say something? What? And I miss it. When was the last time you shared your faith? Let, let me ask this. What is your first reaction when someone cuts you off in traffic? Is it to give them the universal peace sign or to honk the horn? 
How about at the grocery store or Walmart where they have the express checkout line, you know, where it says 10 items or less, and you watch somebody pull in with two buggies overflowing, and the whole time you're thinking, can you count to 10? Like you've got the one thing that your wife sent you to the store to get. You walked in with a man on a mission, grabbed that one item. You're in a hurry and you're in line behind somebody who's like got 30 items. And you're going, seriously? Like what's your reaction in that moment? When life begins to squeeze you, what comes out? Is it the fruit of the spirit? Is it love? Is it joy? Is it peace? Is it patience? Is it kindness? Is it gentleness? Is it faithfulness? Is it self-control? ask you this question. If your nemesis were to walk into this church and be here this morning, how would you respond to them? Would you think, man, I hope I can watch them walk across the parking lot and accidentally bump them? Would you think, man, Lord, would you speak to them this morning? Romans 12, 1 says, therefore you have no excuse. You who has judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Church, I'm quick to judge sometimes. I'm quick to look at a person on the outside and judge their hearts, to judge their motives. Our response to these questions and so many more will reveal to us some things that we believe. Because remember what we believe will determine how we behave, how we view God. What we believe about God will determine how we will live our lives with him, with ourselves, and with others. See, the reality is this. We need revival. We need to be revived again. We need God to breathe into us this fresh breath of life. What does revival mean? Revival says this, it's a renewed attention to or attention in something. It's renewed. It means I've known this before, but now it's being renewed in me. This week, you're not going to hear new things. It's not going to be some new revelation where it's like, oh, wow, I've never heard that before. It will be something that God will remind you of that, man, you might have have heard this all of your life or you might have just read it last week, but God is renewing it in you. Well, if we talk about revival, then we got to look at revive. What does it mean to revive? It means to make strong, healthy, or active again. It means that we were once strong, we were once healthy, we were once active, but now we've kind of fallen away. We, we've kind of just said, you know what, I, I'm going to just do my best to get through this life. We need a reviving of our hearts. We need our hearts to be turned back to God. We need a renewed attention to him and his word. We need to be strengthened and healed and activated once again. We need a fresh encounter with a holy God. Isaiah chapter 6 is where we're going to start, but I want to pick up and just kind of bring you up to speed real quick with what's happening uh, in context in the first five chapters. You're like, wow, that's a lot, Ryan. Hang with me. It'll be really fast, okay? Um, this, is, this is what's going on, okay? So to this point, Israel has become a rebellious nation. They were going through the religious rituals, but there was no meaning. There was no life. They were not marked by alertness or energy. They were no longer competitive with a chance of victory. They weren't alive. 
They were a sinful nation. This is Isaiah saying this. They were loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They had forsaken God, spurned the instruction of the Lord. Question, does this sound much different from the church today? And I mean the church universal, and I also mean the church individual. Does this categorize my life sometimes? That I just go through the the ritualistic of, of religion and I miss the relationship with God. We go through the motions and the checklists of, well, I, I have the first preset of my car radio turned to Christian radio. You know, I read my Bible today. I have, I've done my devotional. I've prayed for my wife. I've, I've done these things. I've gone to church. I gave in the offering plate. I've, I've done the things, but we miss the relationship. We're just doing them out of a lot of times out of obligation. Isaiah 6.1 says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. When was the last time that you saw the Lord? When was the last time you saw him move in power and in might? When was the last time you saw him answer one of your prayers? In a way that can only be explained but God. When was the last time you saw the Lord? See, here's what's going on up to this point. In the year that King Uzziah died, Israel was without its prosperous king. It was without its, its head leadership. The days were filled with anxiety, stress, worry, and fear. Impending war from the north, economic downturn, peace was eroding, and their new leader was young and inexperienced. How's that sound to today? Ecclesiastes says, guess what? There's nothing new under the sun. Still that way today. We live in a world filled with fear and anxiety and stress and worry. And we just continue to just live in this upheaval. I think that's one of the things coming out of COVID I realized most. Man, I I was in fear in a lot of ways. And now all of a sudden where, where we're at with things in the world, can I give you a hint? Shut the news off. And get into the word. Man, I was at one point listening to talk radio all the time. It doesn't matter whether which side of the political aisle you're on. If your focus is there, guess what? It will do nothing but continue to feed worry and stress and anxiety and anger and fear. And that's not the spirit that God has put within us. We need to see God in a fresh way. Isaiah comes to the church that day seeking God in this moment where, man, everything is chaotic and crazy. And Isaiah comes into the temple and it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Man, when we see God, we come expecting to see him again and again and again and again. So when was the last time you saw the Lord? Was it last Sunday? Was it last year? Was it last decade? Was it in the last century? When was the last time you saw God honestly move? Maybe you've experienced some death in your life. It might be a person. It might be a dream. It might be a possession. It might be a position. And it's left you emptied and worried. 
Come to Jesus. Come to God looking for him to do something amazing. Isaiah saw what? Isaiah 6.1 goes on and it says this. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. What Isaiah saw was the presence of God seated on the throne. The power of God high and lifted up and the peace of God in the train of his robe. I love this. So Isaiah comes in and he sees God. Could you imagine walking into that? Could you imagine walking in the church this morning and the vision you saw was God seated on a throne right here, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe, this is cool, you ready? I love this because I, I, I did some research on this and all of a sudden I went, oh. You ever had one of those aha moments when you read the word? Back in the day, what would happen is when kings would conquer other kingdoms, the king would go and cut off the train of the robe of that king that he conquered and he would sew that onto his train. Wait for it. What is happening with the train of the robe of God in this place? It's filling the temple. Two football fields. 30 stories. Hello? Maybe not 30 stories, sorry, 30 feet. God is our conquering king of peace. Revival we would describe it as this, is the presence of God, the power of God, and the peace of God resting on a life, a family, a church, or a nation. Revival is marked with the presence of God, the power of God, and the peace of God resting on us. Yes, we pray, God, would you break revival out in lives? And sometimes we come into weeks like this and we go, God, I pray for that person to be here or that family to be here. Guess what? God wants to break revival out in me. It must start here personally. But there's a problem. We have two problems. The first problem is this, that we've made God one of us. We've brought God down to our level. We've become uh, just trying to understand who he is and to relate to him. We've made him one of us. Joan Osborne wrote a song in 1996 entitled One of Us. What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger trying to make his way home. Would you still believe? Would you still follow? Would you still serve him? We have a problem that We've made God one of us. The second problem is we've become too familiar with God. You looked at this this past Sunday with Pastor Chad. We've become too familiar with God. We've lost the sense of awe and wonder. Why? Because everything is awesome. I love ice cream. Strawberry milkshakes are my favorite. But then I look at my wife and say, I love you, honey. Anybody see an issue there? Real quick, babe, I love you more than strawberry milkshakes. Just want to get that out there, okay? And we we say things and, and words have lost their power in our lives. If we love everything, if everything is awesome, then guess what? Nothing is really awesome. 
God is the only one who is awesome. So how do we move into this revived life? Let's look at these steps real quick. I have a few of them for us. Found in Isaiah chapter 6. Steps to the revived life. The first step is to put God in his place. To put God in his place. Isaiah 6, 1, where was God? God was seated on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe was filling the temple. He was the king. He was ruling. He was above all things. He was a God of peace. We need God to be in his place. Here's here's the deal. I, I was an old youth pastor, so I love object lessons. We all have a throne. We all have a a throne in our hearts and in our lives where we put the most important thing to us. What is usually that most important thing? Me. There's always that that trepidation of, will it hold me? I I borrowed this chair. I almost said I stole. I didn't steal. I'm going to put it back. I borrowed this chair from your nursery. Sometimes we're the ones sitting on our throne. I grew up in the church all my life. And as an eight-year-old little boy, I remember my pastor saying like every single Sunday, you need to give your heart and life to Jesus. You need to ask him into your heart. You need to make him the Lord and Savior. I grew up in in a Southern Baptist church in Florida. And so this feels like home to me. And so I remember praying every night for a week, God come into my life and not knowing what that meant. And then I asked my dad one night, I said, dad, what does it mean to have Jesus in your heart? Because I want him there. And I remember my dad was working at the kitchen table and he he closed up all of his stuff and he picked up his Bible and we went into his bedroom and he explained to me the gospel. My dad had been through EE, evangelism and explosion and had kind of walked me through the Roman road and and scriptures. And I remember that night praying and saying, God, would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sins as an eight-year-old little boy? And so what I had done was I had taken Christ in that moment and put him on the throne of my life. God, would you take charge? And I remember running from my parents' bedroom and running across the house past my mom who was like, what in the world is going on? Um, And running into my bedroom and opening the top drawer of my dresser and grabbing out my little children's Bible with the green edges and Jesus and the shepherd holding the little lamb kind of picture. You guys probably remember that little Bible, okay? And I remember holding it to my chest and hugging it and kissing it and saying, God, I love you. God, I love you. God, I love you. God, I love you. Well, then as... As a teenager, what started happening? Well, I had put God in in control of my life, but as a teenager, I started doing this. I was like, you're good right there. I'll be in charge. God, I I have you in my life. Like You're my friend because that's what Jesus said. Hey, I'll be your friend, but you weren't Lord anymore because it was all about me. It was all about what I wanted. And and I lived like that through, through high school and through college, and can I be honest, I still do this sometimes as an adult. Famous bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot. Should he be the co-pilot? See, the problem is sometimes God isn't on the throne of our lives. What's on the throne of our lives? 
our wallets, our finances, the things that, that are important to us, our, our technology, our relationships, the things that are represented in this device, people's, people's expectations of us and their thoughts of us and what they, how they view us, that's what's on the throne of our lives. God's there, yes, he's in the circle, but is he Lord of my life? Listen, I'm gonna say this, you ready? If God is not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. If he's not on the throne, then he's not in control. He's not the one calling the shots. We've got to have God in his place, high and exalted. Why? Because we need God's authority. I need to say, God, you know what? I need your authority. I need you to be the one in my life calling the shots. I need you in charge. Because without that, God, I... I'm lost, I'm doomed. We also need God's perspective. Life gets crazy, doesn't it? And sometimes we, we can't see where to turn because we're too close to things. And God says, listen, I'm here for you if you'll just put me in control. Put me where I belong. Isaiah goes on and he says this in 6.2. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. If I walked into church and saw something with six wings flying around, like I'd be like, deuces, I'm out. Um, like, God, I'm glad you're on your throne, but that thing is scary. Have you ever wondered why in Scripture the first thing the angels always say is what? Do not be afraid. There's a reason for that. This thing is scary. Look at what verse 3 says. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy simply means this, exalted or worthy of complete devotion. Worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and in righteousness. God is holy, whether we believe it or not. He's the only one that is worthy of complete devotion. Listen, I, I know you guys probably don't follow college football, but I'm an SEC football fan. Please don't hold that against me. Some of you right now are checking out. You're like, yeah, I'm not coming back. Uh, especially when I tell you I'm a Florida Gator fan. I don't know if that means anything up here. Um, I'm a Florida Gator fan. You know, don't shake your head. Wow, that's hurtful. Just kidding. Listen, I love college football. Man, I, I can go to the games and I get excited when my team is going on and they're winning and they score and I'm, yeah, and I'm high-fiving my buddies or I'm watching the game at home and we're hollering at the TV when they're not doing well. Like, that'll change anything. And then I come to church on Sunday morning and it's like, praise you, Jesus. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Oh, church. We will sometimes put other things that are more important to us on the throne of our lives and miss what God really wants for us. That is, we've got to see God high and lifted up and holy. Listen to, to this in Revelation 4, verse 8. Again, the end of the book. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings. Sound familiar? What do you think Isaiah saw? 
Each of them with six wings, check this out, are full of eyes all around and within. (laughs) Don't be afraid. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the four living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne. Hello, there's a throne again saying this. Worthy are you, O Lord. Our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. God, you are on your throne and you need to be on the throne of my life because you are worthy of that. Church, if that's the end of the book, why are we trying to live life different this side of eternity? That's what it will be like for all of eternity to come. This is choir practice, y'all. This is time for us to just go ahead and get in the practice of God being number one because it's all about him. Question, who or what is on the throne of your life? Is it you? Is it your finances? Is it your fears? Is it your anxieties? Is it somebody else? Who's sitting on the throne of your life? Is it a possession Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When the boat sinks or the motorcycle breaks down, where does your heart go? Is it a position? Am I trying to please man or am I trying to please God? Or is it a person? Jesus said, whoever loves father and mother, sister and brother more than myself is not worthy to follow me. Is it a person? When we begin to see God high and lifted up, when we put God in his place, the second step to revived life is to respond in honesty and humility. We're gonna unpack this a little more each night this week. We're gonna spend some time looking at honesty and humility, but look at what Isaiah does in Isaiah 6, 4. He sees all of this stuff, and this is what happens. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Again, this is one of those church experiences that if I were to walk in on and see it, yes, God is high and lifted up. Yes, God, I get that. But the rest of it, it scared me to death. And look at what Isaiah says. Here's his response. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." responding to God in humility and honesty. When we put God on the throne, we then begin to see us for who we are, broken and messed up. Isaiah says, woe is me. And he could have stopped there. I mean, that is an honest evaluation of himself. But then he goes on to say, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. Man, we need to respond to the holiness of God in honesty and humility. Third thing, accept God's forgiveness. Accept the forgiveness of God. 
when we make that honest and that humble confession, look what God does for Isaiah in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. I love a good bonfire. Like for Christmas, I, I bought a solo stove that fits really well in the bottom of our RV because I love to just kind of sit out when it's a little chilly and put the fire out. Uh, but I am not about to reach in and grab a hot coal. This says that he, he, had, he grabs this coal with tongs and, and then he carries it to me. And, and hello, I would be thinking I'm done. If I'm not thinking I'm done at just the sight of God and his holiness and my confession of woe is me, I'm ruined. Now all of a sudden it is confirmed. This guy's coming to me with a hot coal from the fire, which is where I belong in the fire, and I'm dead. I'm done for. But look what happens in verse seven. And he touched my mouth. Why did he touch the mouth of Isaiah? What was the confession of Isaiah? I'm a man of what? Unclean lips. God is specific. When we specifically confess our sins to God, guess what? He forgives us specifically for our sins. And look at what it says. Behold, this has touched your lips. I love this. You ready? Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. The guilt and the shame that you experience from the sin in your life, it's taken care of. And the sin has been atoned for. It's no longer on your record. God looks at it and says, hey, it's all good. It's clear. This is grace. Undeserved the favor of God. Listen, we're going to talk about grace Tuesday night. That's probably my favorite message this week. Because I missed grace. I understood saving grace. But man, there's so much more than just the saving grace of God. And as a Christian, I lived my life a long time on my own strength, thinking, man, I could just be better. Isaiah experienced the grace of God. And after he experienced the grace of God, he heard God's voice. So once we've put God in his place, once we've responded in humility and and in honesty, once we've accepted God's forgiveness, then we begin to hear the voice of God. Isaiah says this in verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now here's the best part. I have this picture that even when Isaiah walked into the temple, God was still saying, Hey, whom shall I send and who's going to go for us? He's looking around at the nation of Israel going, who should I pick? Who will go for us? God was still speaking, but Isaiah couldn't hear. Why? Because Isaiah had some sin in his life that was affecting him hearing from God. Isaiah had other things on the throne of his life. And when he got those things right and he put God in his place, guess what? He heard from God. When was the last time you heard God speak to you? When was the last time God spoke into your heart and your life? Again, I come back to the question, who's on the throne of your heart? And the last thing is this, to say yes. Say yes to God. God is looking for people to come into his, to, 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 to answer this call. I, I can't imagine, look at what Isaiah says in 6, 8. Then I said, here I am, send me. Is that how you would read that? Here I am, Lord, send me. I feel like Eeyore, you know? Could you imagine Eeyore saying that? Here I am, Lord, 
send me. I can't imagine Isaiah responding like that. I mean, like he just walks into church and he sees God high and exalted, the train of his robe filling the temple. The, the foundations shook, they're filled with smoke. He sees six winged things with eyes all over. He makes this confession, woe is me, I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Uh, one of the seraphim flies to me with a cold, touches my mouth, says, my sin is atoned for, my guilt is taken care of. Then I hear God speaking, whom shall I send and who will go? And then my response is, me, I'll go. I have this picture, like, if it were me, I'd be jumping up and down. Here I am! Woohoo! Like, over here, pick me! Please, God, I'll be your voice. I'll be the person that goes to my community. I'll be the person that goes to my neighbors. I'll be the person that takes your love and your life and your hope and your grace and your peace to everyone that I come in contact with. But we'll never get there if we don't start where Isaiah started. Who's on the throne of your life? When we get overwhelmed with God, when we're overwhelmed with his holiness and his majesty and his grace and his glory and his forgiveness, and then we get a little excited. I remember that eight-year-old little boy running across his house now I look at a 47-year-old man saying, God, would you restore to me the joy of your salvation? God, would you revive me again? Would you do it again in my heart and in my life? We're not up here because we're the experts. We're up here because guess what? I need this message more than anybody. Because too many times I'm on the throne what I want, what I hope, what I dream, my stuff, my things, my relationships. The whole time God is saying, would you just start with me? Here's your life in action this morning. Who's on the throne of your life? Who's on the throne of your life? Because we all have a throne. We all have something that is number one. What is that? Maybe you're here this morning and God has been saying for you for the first time, he's, he's never been even in your life. Like you could never even say he was close to you like he was your co-pilot because God's been way over here. And you're like, but, but Ryan, I've grown up in the church all my life. I've been a deacon in the church. Man, but I've never had a relationship with God. I've never had a moment where I gave him complete control. This morning, if you've never given your heart and life to Christ, this is your moment. This is your day. Would you say, God, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you come into my life? Would you be my Lord and my Savior? Maybe you're like me and you gave your heart to Christ a long time ago or a short time ago, but you have found yourself with God as your co-pilot. You're doing your best to live this Christian life on your own. This morning, would you say, God, I, I want you on the throne not just in my life. I want you in control of my life. Here are my fears. Here are my anxieties. Here are my hopes. Here are my dreams. Here are my plans. God, I give them all over to you. God, would you be on the throne of my life? We're gonna have a time of invitation. And this morning, I I wanna do it a little bit different. 
Each night we're gonna have an invitation in kind of a little different way. But I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to God this morning. We're gonna, our, our praise team's gonna sing for us. But maybe you wanna come down to this altar. So many times um, I remember as a little boy, my pastor would preach and God would begin convicting me and I would just walk the aisle and come down and I, God, I, I've done it again. Would you take control of my life? And sometimes we equate this altar with, with this time of confession and it is. It's a time of putting things onto the altar to say, God, here's what I've put ahead of you. But you know, the altar is also a time of thanksgiving. It's a time where you could come and say, you know what, God, you, you are number one, but Lord, would you, would you help me to keep you there? Would you help me to, to be excited again? God, would you restore to me the joy of your salvation? Would you revive me again, Lord, that I might rejoice in you? Maybe you've lost the joy of your first love. And you're, you're living the Christian life. He's in control, but, and you just want more. This morning, would you just respond to God however he asks you to respond? If that's to come and pray, pray. If that's to grab your wife or, or your best friend or an accountability partner, come and pray. If that's to grab the pastor or one of the, the prayer leaders in the church, grab him and come and pray. But would you ask God, God, would you do something in my heart and in my life? I believe he's moving this morning. But I believe he's asking each of us who's on the throne. Who's in control? Will you give control to him? Lord, we come before you in this moment. Lord, some of us, God, have lived life for ourselves in so many ways. We've accumulated things. We've accumulated positions. We've accumulated possessions. God, this morning we realize that there's no power in our lives because you're not in your proper place. So God, would you help us to put you in your place, to see you high and lifted up. God, would you change our lives from the inside out? Lord, would you begin a work in me? Would you do it in me? Would you do it again? Would you revive me again? And God, would you begin that in the hearts and lives of your people here? God, we could become a beacon of hope and of grace, a light into this community and into this dark world that desperately needs you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask all of this, God, in your name and for your glory's sake. Amen.